Uh, right out of college in January of 2011, um, I took a job at a, uh, at a church in Dallas. We moved to Dallas, and I was working at a church there and started seminary at the same time. Um, I had been married for eight months. I had been 22 years old for one month. I'd been a college grad for about three weeks and a seminary student for one day when I started this job. And I didn't really know any better. I think I just kind of just dove in as much as possible. My wife, Amy, and I, we both moved to Dallas. Um, like I said, we'd been married, um, gosh, like eight months, yeah. And, uh, and she was starting grad school and working, and I was doing grad school and working, and um, we just kind of dove in. I didn't really know what else you did. I started working really hard, and pretty soon I was taking, um, I, was, I was trying to get done in three years from grad school, so I was taking like 15 or 20 graduate hours at a time, and I ended up working about 60 hours a week at this place I was working at. And um, if you're just doing math in your head, those numbers don't add up all that well as far as free time and family time and stuff like that goes. Um, I've always kind of struggled with, with workaholism. Um, the crazy part about all of that is that I liked it. I mean, I really liked it. I loved working all the time. I loved being in school all the time. Um, it, it felt like I, was, I meant something, like I was doing something, like I mattered, you know? And, and having struggled with workaholism most of my life, I didn't realize it, but this job and, and school, it just really fed into it. And I began to dive into it, I think, like never before. Um, but I was, I was doing pretty well in school. I started getting promoted at work and getting new opportunities and influence and things like that. And I really thought that, I mean, it was like my life was turning out exactly the way that I wanted it to. I had this, this beautiful wife that we've been married less than a year. Um, I had this great relationship with Christ. I had this great marriage. I had this successful and what I thought was an important job. Um, I was going to school, um, tons of close friends that I worked with. I mean, I thought that it was just like, this is all that it is. This is, I have it all right now. And my life is going to turn out exactly like I always thought it would. But pretty soon, the hours that I was devoting to school and the hours that I was devoting to work began to take a toll on me and on my marriage too. And um, I mean, there were times where I barely saw Amy. And I think when I did, I probably wasn't that nice of a person. Um, my time with Jesus completely took a back seat too. I mean, I can remember there was probably a year or 18 months where the only time I ever opened my Bible was for school. The only time I ever prayed was kind of just out of habit before a meal or something like that. And it just began to be this, began to be this drain on me. People would ask me questions about myself. You know, who are you? I'd meet them. How's it going? What do you do for a living? And I would always just lead off with work. All I would talk about is work, and they would get really tired of it. They'd be like, are you married? Yeah, yeah, but that's, I work. I have this job. I work all the time. I do really well at it. And pretty soon, what I did really became my identity. I identified myself as a pastor at this church and by my work. Um, Everything else kind of became an afterthought. And after two years of doing this, I knew that I, I couldn't sustain it anymore. I had to step away. My marriage was struggling. I had little to no intimate relationship with Christ. Um, my schoolwork started to struggle. And I knew that it was just, it was time to step away. Um, and so after two years of this, I, I, I did. I stepped away. I started looking at some other job opportunities. But 
nothing kind of availed itself at the beginning of this. And so I had a period of about four or five months where I was jobless. And so I went from working 60, 65 hours a week all the time, was never home to like I just did class and then I came home and I had nothing to do. And there was a a long period of time during that stretch where I remember I would come home and Amy would be working or in school and then she would come home, we'd do dinner together or whatever, and then she would go to sleep and I would go and sit on our couch and um, I just felt worthless. I just felt empty. Sometimes I'd put headphones in and listen to music. Sometimes I'd just sit there and cry on my couch at night, feeling like I didn't matter anymore. And I couldn't figure out why I felt this way at first, but as the days and weeks began to go by, I spent more and more time on that couch, I began to realize that I'd lost my identity because I'd placed my identity in my job and my job had stopped. I didn't know who I was anymore. My identity was gone. Now, this may have been kind of the worst time this has ever happened, but it's certainly not the first time. I've placed my identity in things like uh, sports, particularly in football. And when football stopped, I got hurt. I couldn't play anymore. I didn't, you know, really have NFL aspirations or anything like that. But when football stopped, I remember thinking, what? I don't have anything else. This is who I am. I've identified myself as this forever. And so that kind of moved into academics. And I, I tried to do really well in school. And, and then that stopped. I'd, I'd make a bad grade or school finished or whatever it was. And then I'd lose my identity again. This has been happening, not ex- exaggeration. This has been happening my entire life. I would dive headfirst into something, go all in on it, find my identity inside of it, and then inevitably it would end, and my identity would end with it. And I'd be back on that couch, sitting there, headphones in, wondering who I am. Do I even really matter anymore? My guess is that this has happened to you. Maybe you didn't sit on the couch and cry because I'm a big baby, but um, maybe uh, it's affected you in some other way. But I bet that you've struggled with figuring out who you are with identity and even with losing it maybe over and over and over again. Maybe it's a relationship, right? Maybe you met someone, you fell in like really fast, you know, and uh, you started spending all this time with this person. You started, um, you maybe even moved in together or you got married or whatever it was. And, and this became like your whole world was just wrapped around this other person. But then things started to not go so well. And whereas before, when somebody would meet you, you would identify, I'm so-and-so's boyfriend, I'm so-and-so's girlfriend. Now, it kind of felt hollow and empty when you said stuff like that. And you didn't really know where it was going, but you started to fight more and more, and the fights just became about nothing, and they were stupid, but you could feel yourself kind of growing apart from this other person. It culminates in one huge fight, right? And one of you walks out. And it feels like a part of you has been ripped away. You had started to identify yourself, like a part of you was this relationship. This is who I am, is half of this relationship. And it rips away, and at least half of you is just gone. So maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was your looks. Maybe you've always been a person who worked out like crazy. You're super fit, or maybe you've just been blessed with some God-given great looks, um, 
you know, I, I feel your pain, I've been there, you know what I mean? Um, but maybe, maybe that's you, maybe you've always been kind of obsessed with the way that you look and your body and your physical fitness and you work out all the time and you take the supplements and you do the whole thing and you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, you know, just kind of checking yourself out, this is how I look, it's tight here, you know, been lifting a lot and all that kind of stuff and that has become a big part of your identity. But inevitably, maybe you, um, you know, couldn't work out as much anymore. You started to gain a little bit of weight. Maybe you started to get a little bit older. You started seeing wrinkles coming in. Maybe um, you got pregnant and your body changed. Maybe it was just a simple fact that you got older and you didn't look or feel as vibrant as you did before. But either way, you had been, you'd spent so long working toward this identity of, I'm a really good-looking, physically fit person. But that identity began to slip away for whatever reason, and you felt like a part of you had slipped away. Maybe it was like me. Maybe it was your job. You put so much time and effort into your vocation, and you were making money, you were working hard, you were rising in the ranks, you were gaining influence only to find out that your, your role changed or your job ended for good. And you're trying to figure out what to do next, and you begin to battle that empty feeling of, who am I now? I thought I, I was a nurse, I was a software engineer, I was a construction manager, I was all of these things, but now who am I? That something is gone. But night after night, as I sat on that couch, I realized that my identity doesn't reside in the temporal. It doesn't reside in the kind of here and now. My identity has been secured in the eternal. And this began this journey for me of finding out more and more about who Jesus says that I am and believing less and less about what I think that I am or what my job says that I am or what my body says that I am or whatever my earthly identities that I've built up say that I am. And this journey for me has been, it's been life-changing. It's been absolutely moment by moment, day by day, life-changing. And so we're about to walk through this series called Identity, and we're really going to be diving deeply into what Jesus says about us, the things that are true forever about us. And a lot of it is based on uh, this 2 Corinthians 4.18 verse, and it says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the temporal, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I truly believe that without a proper understanding of who we are, it is so hard to step in to that full life that Jesus talks about, the full life that Jesus offers. One of the keys to understanding life as a Christian is realizing that there is this line in between the eternal and the temporal. So I brought just kind of a little graphic to show you. It's really, I made that, it took me like three hours last night. Um, but there is a line in between the eternal and the temporal. Here on earth, we exist on both sides of this line. So just bear with me as I explain this. Above the line, in our spirit, in our innermost being, we have been given, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have been given the righteousness of Christ in your innermost being. Your eternal identity has been forever changed. We're holy, blameless, perfect. 
These attributes are unchanging. They are the unchanging truth of our identity in Christ. But below the line, we are still in this process of spiritual growth, right? Kind of figuring out who we are, battling sins, battling struggles, battling even our successes sometimes. We are learning how to become more intimate with and dependent on Jesus moment by moment. That's kind of below the line. Here's why this concept is so vitally important. Our identity, you've said yes to Jesus, if you are a Christian, your identity is unchanging. It resides above the line. God sees you as holy and perfect and beautiful and a son or daughter of him. That is your true identity and it resides above the line. It is eternal, it is unchanging. But so many times instead we start to identify ourselves by our jobs or our relationships or our looks or our money or maybe our sin struggles or maybe some really bad thing we did way back when it begins to define us. Maybe some really big mistake. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was, could have been anything, but you begin to define yourself by these things in the temporal. We focus on trying to be better people or clean up our act or have success in earthly things, hoping that finally we can really buy into and feel this completed identity. If we just do enough good things at the end of the day or at the end of our life, if we've just done enough good things to outweigh the bad things that we've done, God's gonna be pleased with us. He's gonna finally look on us and say, great job, you did it. We spend so much of our life living that way, but that is simply is not the reality of life as a Christian. Catch this. Unless we realize that our true eternal identity rests above the line, we will spend the vast majority of our time trying to grab hold of an identity that we already possess. We will spend the vast majority of our time here on earth trying to achieve, trying to gain, trying to grab hold of an identity that we really literally already possess. We have already been given it by Jesus. So now the question becomes, who does Jesus say that I am? What is my true identity? How can I fix my eyes on the eternal and stop getting so weighed down by the temporal things? So over the next few weeks, like I said, we're gonna really dive deeply into this idea, this study of who we are, of who Jesus says that we are. And I think even more importantly, how that changes our everyday life, because it does. It does, I promise. It changes your everyday life. So for the next six weeks, we're gonna look at six pieces of our identity. These are six things that happen to us the moment that we say yes to Jesus. Um, there's this great article that's called the 33 things that happen the moment you say yes to Jesus. These are just six of them, so we're not gonna do a 33-week series. We're just gonna do a six-week series. Six incredible, life-changing things that happen to you the moment you say yes to Jesus. This morning, we're gonna talk about how we are a new creation. That's gonna be the first one. We are a new creation. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter five, really camping out in verse 17. So if you have your Bible or your phone, or you can follow along on the screen behind me, I'll walk through a bunch of different verses, but that's gonna kind of be the main one we keep coming back to. So 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the first thing I want to point out about this passage is that it says anyone. If anyone 
is in Christ. It doesn't say if a good person is in Christ or if a religious person is in Christ or if a really cool, good-looking, great job person is in Christ. It says if anyone is in Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you say yes to Jesus, to the free gift of life that Jesus offers, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You get to be a part of that anyone Anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So what is this old that has passed away, and what is this new that has come? So we're going to dive really deeply into this this morning. We're going to look at a couple of different pictures to kind of talk about the old and the new and hopefully help explain that concept for us. So Scripture teaches that every person who has ever lived is made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We call this our spiritual anatomy, spirit, soul, and body. Quick disclaimer here. If um, th These are really just terms that we are using to describe a shared experience that we have, uh, an eternal truth about us. So I don't want you to get caught up in like spirit and soul and body, specifically those terms. Like for instance, if you've been told your whole life that the soul is the part of you that lives forever, you know, the soul is the part of you that, that God grabs a hold of and all that, that's totally fine. We're just using that term in a different way and I'm gonna explain it this morning. So I don't want you to get caught up into the specific terms, more of understanding. This is gonna be common language for us to use as we dive deeper into these concepts, okay? So we all have a spirit and a soul and a body. And for those of us who are more visual learners, I brought along this slide to show you what I'm talking about. So we all have this body and soul and spirit. So let me dive into those really quick. So your, your body is really what houses your soul and your spirit. This is where we experience the five um, senses, right? Sight, smell, taste, sound, touch. It's not uh, inherently evil. Your body is not a bad thing. It can be used for good or for evil. The best example, I think, is like a scalpel. So in the hands of a skilled surgeon, a scalpel can bring healing, right? But in the hands of somebody who wants to cause harm, a scalpel can be used to maim or kill or something like that. Does that make sense? So the body is not bad or good, but it can be used for either. The easy way to remember the body is that the body is where we express life. The body is where we express life. Then you have your soul. This is made up of, as you can see, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So in your mind, this is where you think about things, where you reason things out. Your will, this is where we make decisions. And then your emotions, this is where we experience happiness, sadness, anger, frustration, excitement, fear, things like that. Again, this is something that can be used for good or for bad, right? You can make good decisions, you can make bad decisions, good choices, bad choices. The easy way to remember the soul is that the soul is where we experience life. The body is where we express life, the soul is where we experience life. And then lastly, you have your innermost being, that middle circle, which is your spirit. Your one true eternal identity resides in the very middle of you, in that spirit. That is the eternal part of you. So your body expresses life, your soul experiences life, your spirit is where life resides. All right, tracking with me so far? Okay. So this is what, right here, this is what the perfect person looks like. Body, soul, and spirit, totally blameless, no blemishes, no marks, everything is perfect. This is what Adam and Eve looked like, right? This is right when they came out 
Um, God created them and they were in the Garden of Eden. They were in this perfect world. They were perfect. They'd never experienced sin or seen sin or any bad things like that. But since the very beginning of time, we haven't been able to stay perfect. I think you can agree, Christian, not Christian, whatever you believe sitting here in this room today, there are no perfect people in the world, right? Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes bad decisions. We hurt each other. We do things that we regret. Nobody is perfect. And that's been true, again, since the very beginning of time. Adam and Eve were created, and their spiritual anatomy was perfect. But pretty quickly, they decided to do what really all sin boils down to, and that's that they decided to trust themselves instead of trust God. So God said, I'm providing everything that you could ever need. There's this one tree that I don't want you to eat of. You just got to trust me on that. Like you have everything that you ever need. And they're like, ah, I know that you've given me everything I ever need, but I feel like you're holding out on us with this tree thing over here. Okay. So we're going to kind of do our own thing. I'm going to go eat at the tree, you know, when you're not watching God, because I know you don't watch all the time, right? You're not God or anything like that. So I'm going to go over to this tree. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm going to trust in myself and in my own desires rather than you. And so they disobeyed, and through that, they ushered in sin into the world for the very first time. And because of that, our spiritual anatomy and their spiritual anatomy forever changed. This imperfection has permeated our world from that moment forward. Look at Romans 5.12 with me. It puts it this way. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, right? So death and sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's bad decision from their disobedience, and it has since permeated, right? You've heard the term like we live in a fallen world, right? It's, it's just a basic term of saying nobody's perfect. doesn't mean that people don't do good things. doesn't mean that people don't help each other and pull each other out of burning buildings and all of that kind of stuff, but it means nobody is perfect. Nobody can do good enough to earn God's favor on their own. So instead of the perfection of the first picture of the spiritual anatomy we looked at, here is what we all look like prior to saying yes to Jesus. Here's the spiritual anatomy of someone. It's a big old thing that says death right across there, a big old scary thing that says death right over our spirit. So what Scripture teaches is that because of sin and death that permeated the world through Adam and Eve, Romans 5.12 says it brought death to all of us. In our innermost being, that spirit, it was dead. It wasn't alive. There was nothing that we could do to make it alive on our own. But the incredible news is that God didn't leave us that way. God didn't look down on our world and say, eh, Adam and Eve disobeyed. They brought this on themselves. They've been choosing themselves and their own wisdom over mine for you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So I'm just going to let them do their thing. He loved this world, right? John 3.16 says he loved this world so much that he sent his one and only son down here to die for us. Even after all of the times that we told him we know better than you, he sent his son to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. The only person in the world who has ever lived that perfect life is Jesus. He came, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died in our place. He overcame that death. And then he offered us life. The picture behind me is the old that 2 Corinthians 5.17 is talking about. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So you have been forever changed. You have been given the full free gift of life 
you have said yes to Jesus and the new has come. Look at the way, you might have seen earlier on that Romans 5 verse, there was an ellipsis at the end, right? It means there's more to come. So look with me at how Paul ends that later, a couple of verses later. He says, therefore, just as sinner the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin. But then he says, consequently, just as one sin resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Just like how Adam and Eve made the bad decision and they ushered in sin and death into the world, Jesus came, lived this perfect life, died in our place, and through that one person, we have been given life. We have been made new. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So here's what the new creation looks like. When you say yes to Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit. We saw this in Acts 2. We actually looked at it a little bit last week. The Holy Spirit comes in, it joins together with your spirit, and he gives you a new spirit. You have been made alive in your innermost being. C.S. Lewis really famously said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. One of my very favorite quotes. Jesus is not concerned with altering your morality and your behavior first and foremost. He is concerned with making you a new creation. Everything else flows out of that. All the things that you do, the good decisions, the ways you help people, all of that kind of stuff flows from that power source, from the Holy Spirit indwelling you, living inside of you. But first and foremost, he came to make you new. And he came to make you new, no strings attached. Romans 10, 9 that we looked at earlier, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you show me a track record of making really good decisions. If you show me that you trust me more than you trust yourself, then I'll send my Holy Spirit down. I'll make you a new creation. He just says, just acknowledge that I am who I say I am. Just say yes to the free gift that Jesus is offering, and I will make you a new creation. Our spirit, our innermost self, our true identity. Remember we said this is where life resides in our innermost being, has been made alive through Christ. We are a new creation and nothing can change us back. Nothing can change us back. We still have our soul and our body, right, on the outside circles that we still deal with struggles. We still deal with afflictions and difficulties and we have to make decisions. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But our true identity has been made new and it has been made perfect eternally. Now, I'm using that term perfect. I think, I know you're thinking like, I'm not really perfect though. You just said no one is perfect. Well, that's true. But in your innermost being, I mean that term completely literally. The truth is, grab a hold of this truth. If you have said yes to Jesus, in your spirit, in your innermost being, you, are, you will never be more perfect than you are today. That part of you has been sealed and perfected. Even when you do a bunch of good stuff, even if you read your Bible every day, if you prayed every day, if you came to church and you gave a whole bunch of money, you did all of these things, that part of you that has been changed forever, it's not any better. Even in heaven, that part of you doesn't get any better. It's perfect today as we sit here. That's what being a new creation really means. So then the question is, how does this change our everyday life? 
How does knowing that we're a new creation, how does thinking about things from the basis of our spiritual anatomy change the way we walk through life, the way we interact with people, the decisions that we make? Well, first and foremost, it means that we don't have to define ourselves by our struggles or our successes or our jobs or our relationships or anything like that. We can find our true identity above the line in the eternal. We don't have to look for it and shop for it and try to attain it below the line. We get to find it in the eternal. We are new creations. We have been given the righteousness in our innermost being. Unless unless we realize, truly, truly, unless we realize that our true eternal identity resides above the line, we will spend our whole lives trying to attain an identity that we already have. I've spent so much, so much of my life trying to figure out who I am, trying to define myself as an athlete or as someone's boyfriend or as someone's husband or as someone's pastor. Or even today, I've shared this before, even today as I stand before you, it is so tempting for me to find my identity in the feedback that you give me after I speak, in the amount of people that come to our church, in how much money is given so that we can continue to operate this thing. It is so easy for me to fall back into that and find my identity in what the world looks at as success or failure. And I can start to go back to that couch, sitting on it every night, crying with my headphones in, because inevitably that identity falls apart because it's in the temporal, because it's where things are seen, because it's where things are always changing. But our true identity, mine and yours, if you've said yes to Jesus, resides above the line. It's unchanging. It's eternal. And there's nothing that you can do to change it. That's an incredible, incredible truth. So the next time that you fall short on something, I just want to challenge you, pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and remind yourself, that's not who I am. That is not my true identity. My true identity is a new creation. So let me ask you this question. What would really happen if we believed God and what he told us when he says that we are a new creation? I think we would begin to experience freedom like never before. True, true freedom. We can go to work. We can do the very best at our job. We can work hard. We can know that whether we get promoted and we become the head of the company or we get fired tomorrow, that's not who we are. We can dive headfirst into relationships with people that we love. We can come to other people that we're in relationship with, whether it's friends or spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, and we don't have to come from a place of needing something from them. You don't need to find your identity in those people anymore. You get to come with an identity that's full, wouldn't that change the way you approach your relationship if you weren't always trying to get filled and find your identity from the other person? You'd be able to come to them full and complete and a new creation and they would be able to do the same and you would be able to just be in love and be together without trying to fulfill each other's needs of identity and affirmation all the time. This is a freedom that as I've began to kind of just soak in it and dive deeper into it the past few years, it has absolutely changed my day-to-day. 
It has changed my life. It has changed my marriage. It has changed the way that I parent our little boy. There are so many times I get home after a long day at work and I've had kind of a crappy work day and I get home and my son's there and he's like, you know, kind of indifferent to me getting home and I pick him up, try to give him a kiss. He slaps me across the face. It's really easy for me to be like, wow, my identity is not a very great father because my son wants to physically harm me. My identity is not very good because uh, my friend's church is bigger than our church because people don't come up to me afterwards all the time and say, oh, you're so great, Zach. I wish you could speak every day. I want to come all the time. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to try to find my identity in those ever-changing things down here below the line. I get to find my identity in the eternal, where Jesus says that you are mine, you are a new creation, and in your innermost being, you are perfect. You are perfect. I want that for you. If you have never experienced it, I want that for you. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's beautiful masterpiece. I think about that verse all the time when I have bad days, when I'm tempted to find my identity in something else. God tells us that we are his beautiful masterpiece. We're about to sing a song about how God makes beautiful things out of us. And when we do, I want you to really reflect on this incredible truth. You can stand up and sing, you can sit down and pray and just think through it. But I want you to reflect on the fact that if you've said yes to Jesus, you are his beautiful perfect masterpiece. And that identity resides above the line. It is forever. It never changes.